speaking of today's current climate, of, of shitty people and such, last episode we spoke of the trial that was going to court for the first genetic detective casework, basically. Okay. This is about the murder that was picked up by the Alexa? No, 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 no. This was the murder. The DNA, the DNA thing. Yeah. There was two victims like about 20 years ago. It was a cold case and the police decided to go through the public database called GED Match and they were trying this guy because his semen was found on one of the victims that he had raped and murdered and they connected to this guy through two of his cousins who had uploaded their own genetic information to this public database. So the cops went in there and matched this old DNA with this guy. They went staked out his house and got his DNA to confirm and it was an exact match. So he went to trial and it was the first trial of this type uh, using genetic genealogy and in this fashion from police rifling through a non-criminal database (laughs) (laughs) and so he was found guilty the 12 jurors voted with confidence that the genetic genealogy was enough to convict him so he's been sentenced so i thought that was interesting that we i just wanted to update everyone that Shit happened, and it went down, and (laughs) if you're spitting into a little tube to get your results and there's someone sketchy in your family, it might be a problem. I mean, statistically, chances are somebody sketchy is in your family. (laughs) It's just like... just can't believe you're actually standing here in my living room, Eddie. Mm. (laughs) Never thought the day would come. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. It's a crying shame the older kids couldn't make it. Yeah, I got the daughter in the clinic getting cured off the wild turkey and the older boy bless his soul is preparing for his career college carnival you gotta be proud oh yeah a few things have come out of this so now that this has happened this can be a thing right and we were talking about how it was like the fingerprint debacle when they first started using fingerprints people were like oh no 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 that's an invasion of privacy They're now calling on lawmakers to impose on how genetic genealogy can be used because currently there are no laws or regulations governing how police departments can use non-criminal genetic databases. So even though it's a public database, people don't really think that the police are going to be searching it. I don't know why, because it's almost 2020 and that's kind of (laughs) the world we live in. I'm I'm a big fan of the aging app right now. Everybody go just go in and snap at a photo of themselves and <laughs> just I don't know. <laughs> Do you know about this phenomenon oh, yeah. right now? This uh, current trend? Yeah, I've seen, like I people have done it for me and I haven't done it. <laughs> this one was like oh, okay. now your face is uploaded. <laughs> Real quick before jumping to the face app, the funny thing that I found through this whole DNA case is that researchers estimate that it will only be a few years before every white person in America can be identified (laughs) this way. (laughs) Let me say that again. Every white person, (laughs) white people. So white people are very nervous because now their shady shit may actually come to haunt them (laughs) because they're all spitting in tubes. But the face app that's making everyone look older is it's a Russian app. So they're saying that... Is it is it really made by Russia? Yeah, here, I'll just send you... From Russia with love. 
people are like, okay, so this face app is made by a Russian company. So now everyone's like, oh my God, are they taking your information? But it's saying currently the evidence suggests that Russia is not stealing your face for some nefarious project. Yeah, no way in God's green earth. I don't believe that for a fucking millisecond. I don't even believe that about my own country. But another thing (laughs) that I heard too was that it didn't just take your photo from that. It took all of your photos. What? Hmm. What? The app's been around for a couple of years now, but it's seen a resurgence in popularity fueled by a torrent of celebrities who've been posting what they'll look like as geriatrics. The app is pretty simple to use. You can take a photo of yourself or just pick one from your image library and then it ages you. Luckily for me, I've always looked like an old person, so it doesn't really change. <laughs> it says you you grant face ask ass face ass grant face ass (laughs) you grant face app a perpetual irrevocable royalty free license to use adapt publish distribute your content when you post or elsewhere share terms and conditions man terms and conditions nobody reads that shit but yeah so there's we should invent an app that reads the main parts of the terms and conditions for you and just like pulls out the main key words right (laughs) so like the dna (laughs) It estimates a couple of years, all white people will be documented. White. White. (laughs) I just find it humorous because, so there's, you know, there's a lot of controversy behind this app. There should be a lot of contraceptives because (laughs) I'm worried about the number of brown people taking over. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I'm not. Yes, I am. (laughs) CBS News. Holy shit. Well, I think it's one of those things. I, I, I don't think people realize or care about it enough that, like, pretty much any information that you have is being put out there anytime you're using a device. And yeah. Whether you're using a computer or a phone or whatnot. And that's just kind of the way it's been for a while. And people are just now kind of realize, like, oh, there's these companies, you know, again, if a product is free, you are the product. Like Facebook, they're selling your information for targeted advertisements and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean that's kind of the the thing about our society at this point is nothing's really off limits. Everything's out there. Mm-hmm. We have all this massive technology. You know, there's so much. There's so much that you can't be like, I don't want this on the internet. Like it's yep. probably already there. Like I don't yeah. want them to know this. <laughs> they probably already do. Like, <laughs> like yeah, if you sign up, if you sign up for this, it's probably already out there. Right, right. It's not like don't take precautions, but that's right, Scarlett Johansson. You should have just taken money from Penthouse for your spread. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is they'll just if if they want it, they'll they'll get it regardless of if you opt in for an app or not. Just kind of how the world is right now. Yep. If it's free, it ain't for me. <laughs> and now, pigs in this kind of ties back to an earlier conversation. We were talking about fungi in space. The title of the article is Fungi Can Withstand High Radiation Doses in Outer Space, Scientists Find. Anywhere humans go, we bring companions along in the forms of bacteria and mold. Some of them, like gut bacteria, are essential for healthy living. Other are mere tagalongs. As hospitals well know, the even spaces meant for the most clean will still teem with uh, microbial life, and the International Space Station is no exception. Ugh, that dirty, dirty space station. I know. <laughs> 
So you know, astronauts have been cataloging the presence of microbes in space for a while now. They need to make sure their home space is safe and not growing colonies of harmful microbial critters. But in other ways, the health and fertility of such microbes can teach researchers about how living things up to humans respond to harsh environments of outer space. So, so two of the most common moles found in the International Space Station are Asparagillus and Penicillin, which are not usually harmful. Like penicillin? Yeah, that's where yeah we get that's where we get penicillin from. Oh, funny! It's a mold. So there's penicillin in space. Yes. Hold on a second. So not to sound totally stupid because like we're both popping out of the woodwork here. So penicillin is simply a variety of mold. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the penicillin is derived. Isn't all fungus a variety of mold though? I yeah. A yeah. Fu- fungus <laughs> yeah. is mold, right? Yeah, it's a bacterial growth. But why is it specifically connected to penicillin? I guess is the funny thing. Because I'm like allergic to penicillin and I'm allergic to mold, but I love mushrooms. Those are the most two common forms of mold. Okay. Yeah, so those the, those are the ones we see the most of every everywhere we go kind of thing. And they, of course, pop up huh. on the space station. Of course. Yep, well, huh. everywhere we go. <laughs> well, I guess that's kind of a good thing because if they get a cold, they could just lick the wall. <laughs> Get some penicillin. Um, but yeah, usually those, these things aren't harmful for most people except for immune deficiencies or inhaled in large quantities. So it's not a big issue having them there on, on the space station. That is interesting, though, because the amount of radiation that you receive in space <laughs> is ridiculous. So mm-hmm. the fact that these two types of fungi can survive that amount of radiation is crazy. Yeah, they can survive blasts of 1,000 gray X-radiations or 500 grays of uh, heavy ions. So basically in large doses of UV radiation. So things that would normally be very detrimental to more complex life like us. Because like humans, we're a collection of a bunch of cells, but we're also a collection of like bacteria and, and fungus and whatnot that live on our body just to keep us alive kind of thing. And then, and then you go to our gut, which is the same kind of scenario, mm-hmm. where... There's so much complexity to it that like this kind of bombardment can be detrimental and cause cancer or whatnot, so other health effects, organ failure. Some crazy outbreak. But like the thing about fungus is it's so simple. It's like we discussed before, tardigrades, the little water bears that are extremely are resilient. Cute. Yeah, they're so cute. And they are super resilient because they're very simple. There's not a lot to mess with there. So like when they do get exposed to these detrimental effects, it isn't as impactful as it would be with like a larger organism that has so much more going on. Okay. Yeah. Like migrants or refugees. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) true. You know, it's interesting in the Michael Pollan book, I don't have the guy's name right now. Paul Stamets. He has a colleague that he ends up running into at a lot of similar functions together and he kind of dances around the idea that he's not necessarily his cup of tea but this guy's expertise is in fungus Mm -hmm. and he thinks that there is any cure out there that you are looking for you can find in fungus i mean that seems logical to me yeah, I mean, she's probable, but I'm, I'm not sure, like, 100%, you know. It's amazing the level of degree that this guy has committed his life to fungus. I think in an earlier podcast, maybe we talked about ants eating fungus and it exploding through their heads, and that's how the... Oh, fun- yeah, that's the... Um, exploding ants. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's uh, cordyceps, that's what they are. It's the fungus that infects ants and makes them basically makes them into zombies, essentially. <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's very important because this guy, I guess, kind of specialized in that science, that field of science. The zombie ant. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's how this fungus propagates the different areas of land. And he wears a hat that's fucking made of fungus in some capacity that was used in like indigenous times and whatnot. Getting a little off course. But he believes there's nothing that can't be cured or understood without the adventure and and further education of fungus. And it was really, that was one of the fascinating parts of the book so far. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I think definitely researching fungus and whatnot is a necessary thing because it is such a rich tapestry. There's so much out there that we don't mm. understand about it but like i'm always hesitant when someone makes a blanket term like anything can be cured by this and it's that's right. <laughs> michael as well in the book yeah, yeah it's, it's always one of those you sound like a snake oil salesman kind of thing like right. there's, there's no one shot one cure for everything i do think though that i kind of feel like there is something in our environment whether it be fungus dirt from the article you spoke about earlier or weed or there's some environmental thing that would cure all of our ailments like i don't think we need to really like you think there's an organic key to every door we yeah open i don't think that we really need engineered medicine like i think there is probably something that we'll never find that will cure well, certain I mean, things well, that we we would need to refine but i don't know if it should all be synthetic yeah as i say yeah we could use the base component and then go from there right Something yeah it's like aspirin that's naturally comes, occurring yeah. and we refined it into a medicine. Exactly. That's what I mean. But it always it always ends up being a synthetic. Like LSD has become a synthetic based off of... Well, but I don't think we need to start from... You know what I mean? Like I think... Very rarely, I think, in life do we have an original idea. It's always based off of something else. Bath salt. <laughs> Tide pods, man. <laughs> Crocodile. Tide pods. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, because isn't that one of Stephen Hawkins' worries about encountering aliens is that they could have some sort of bacteria or oh, fungi yeah, well, or whatever? Yeah, that's a big worry. And that's kind of what the article goes on to talk about is the contaminants of us sending out space exploration, like even vehicles like the rovers on Mars are bringing these fungus that aren't native to that environment to those environments that might have detrimental effects we can't readily predict kind of thing. Yeah. So that's one of the fears of, of space travel is that like we're unknowingly setting up a disaster scenario. (laughs) Again, if you look at the colonization of North America from Europe, all the creatures that were introduced... Nothing bad happened. Come on, man. Oh, no, no. I mean, a whole whole (laughs) nation of people weren't wiped out. (laughs) Damn, that whole labor force went out? What? Let alone the environmental impacts of the plants we've introduced, the bees we've introduced. Yeah. Like, you know, honeybees weren't native to North America. Right, yeah. They brought them over from Europe, so... Well, and the thing is, too, if this fungus can withstand this amount of UV radiation in space, then re-entry is going to be like nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like, it's yeah they'd be much more right resilient along. and survivable in these harsh environments. They might thrive. Like you mentioned earlier, us sending drones to Titan. Who knows if the little drones get to go to Titan will be bringing something right? there. And if, if there is life that we find, how this will have an impact upon that. and alter that ecosystem. That's been one of my concerns, is that if we do this Mars mission, what are we bringing back? And the idea that not much lives in space isn't a really good theory for me, because when we look at just one dramatic change or shift, whatever that may be, there's potential catastrophic problems, just like the icebergs melting. That's a huge fucking problem. And our space exploration has to be treated in the same delicate manner. We want to make sure that we're proactive and avoiding as 
few future fucking problems as much as feasibly possible. Yeah, going to Mars, that's the big thing. It's like, we're obviously going to go there. We're going to change it regardless. I mean, at the cost of, is my previous platform I always tout, is the progress and expansion of our understanding and growth as a species comes from it. It also comes at a cost that we are altering this environment for our own benefit. But humans have had a long, sordid history of doing that <laughs> since day one, altering our environment to suit our means. Right, right. <laughs> it didn't work out for us, but we're going to make it. <laughs> we're going to make it. <laughs> throw a bowling ball in the air. <laughs> I mean, she would have been fucking better off, that's for sure. Yep. Maybe that's what that is. It's really a bowling ball, not a hat. That's yeah, amazing. there's a bit in The Simpsons where like Homer gets his dream job working at a bowling alley and it has like a little montage like the Mary Tyler Moore intro. He like at the end of it, he instead of throwing his purse up in the air, he has a bowling ball. So he throws up in the air and it comes down and like breaks a lane kind of thing. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's funny. Because we can't go an episode without referencing The Simpsons. <laughs> that is true. Everything goes back to The Simpsons. Just like in South Park. Simpsons did it. Simpsons did it. Speaking about the environment and how we like to destroy it as humans, we've kind of been talking, touching base, you know, on the Beyond Meat alternatives, Mm -hmm. the Impossible Burger, and, you know, eating more of a plant-based diet. What I thought was interesting was I stumbled across this article in Popular Science. I just sent it to you guys. The article title is, Organ Meats Should Be a Part of a Plant-Friendly Diet. The article was interesting because it was like this guy who went to another country and was like sat down for dinner and it was like... He made blood sausage from his own blood? <laughs> no, almost. There was like some noodle... It was camouflaged with bacon, <laughs> but once they like cut through the top of the bacon, it was a gray-brown blob, <laughs> which to his <laughs> horror landed on his plate. It was like liver pate. <laughs> but it was kind of interesting because culturally, we don't eat the ick of animals right we yeah, just the eat... entirety of the animal yeah so the naughty bits yeah we don't we do not eat which is actually called offal o-f-f-a-l which sounds also like awful, awful but um <laughs> but and interestingly a new study in in the german meat industry found that if locals ate offal including but not limited to liver tripe tongue and other innards Livestock emissions for the country would fall by as much as 14%. Say that kind of reminds me, there's this YouTube I follow, and it's these guys here, and I'm I'm not sure the pronunciation. It's like Kurgazak. Can you trust Kurgazak videos? Making a Kurgazak video always begins with a question or an issue. The first step is research. We start by looking for books and scientific papers to get an overview and just read a lot. Once we have the first readable version, we reach out to experts or scientists and ask them to fact-check and correct us. Often enough, they find a flaw or point us in the direction of contradictory research. At this point, many scripts die. If our idea does hold up, we continue working on it. When we're finally done, we do another round of research and show the script to experts again, ideally different ones than the ones we talked to at the beginning of the process. When we express an opinion, we mark it as such. That's not saying that we don't draw conclusions from the research. Homeopathy does not work, and meat is really bad for the planet. Climate change is real, but organic food is not a good way of solving it. 
If the facts clearly support a conclusion, it's okay to present it as such. The world is too complex for simple answers, and we don't want to be the ones giving them. They kind of do like little educational things, but they did one recently on like, is meat bad for you? And oh, one of the I saw that. Just... That was the, you shared the loneliness that, okay. video, right? Yeah, yeah. So same guys. And then, yeah, they did one about meat. And they talked about how people who live like the Inuits who live up in the Northern Circle and whatnot, they can survive. You know, you get, you get scurvy if you don't get vitamin C. I mean, usually you get vitamin C from eating plants kind of thing. Right. But they found they don't get scurvy because they eat the entirety of the animal and that the body, the, all the organelles and whatnot, like you're saying, like the liver, tripe, tongue, whatnot, all the other innards, that's where they get their vitamin C from. Oh, that's interesting. So they eat the huge, heavy meat-based diet because that's what's available. Right. You have to eat what's in your... Nature fucking provides. And that's what Julie was saying earlier yeah. about starting from an organic platform. Yeah, starting from our shit. <laughs> that's amazing, Tyler. Yeah, I did see that pop up because I did subscribe after our last episode to that channel. I watched that loneliness video and I was like, oh, but I didn't get a chance to to watch that video. So that's cool that you found that. Do you know what else is statistically interesting about the Inuits that we can all take away from is they are the only ones that we can determine that doesn't have hallucinogens as part of their history. Oh, that's a bummer. Because <laughs> it doesn't grow there. That makes sense. <laughs> they don't have... They're the only people that have not been affected by hallucinogens in some capacity. That's why they're boring. No, I'm <laughs> oh, I kid, I they're kid. They're boring because they have honey pots. <laughs> <laughs> what was interesting about this article, you know, it was based on a German study and it said that their livestock emissions would fall by 14%, but it's they're saying that's pretty comparable to what ours would be here in the United States as well. Mm-hmm. And it said that the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization estimates that livestock are responsible for 14.5% of human-induced greenhouse gas emissions worldwide, mostly via the burp and the farts of the beef cattle. <laughs> Always comes back around the farts. Right? The U.S. accounts for a larger portion of that pie because we eat so much beef but the average german eats 132 pounds of meat per year which is almost twice as much as the world average but they're eating mostly pork versus beef that we're eating so they're saying that cutting the the meat consumption by half has made the biggest impact reducing germany's livestock emissions by one-third Upping eating the offal, you know, all the innards and the good stuff nobody right. wants. I mean, some of that shit's fucking good. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no. Lingua is fucking great. Well, that, and that's what they're saying. People need to educate themselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you, Tyler. I'm with you, Julie. I, I, I mean, we've eaten, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to list anything off or textures or aesthetics or anything like that. Go and venture out and figure it out for yourself. Learn about it. Yeah. You know, I used to not be into it, but growing up in California, of course, you eat a lot of Mexican food. Right. And, and like a lot of Mexican cooking revolves around using a lot of the organelles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's delicious. Like, holy shit. <laughs> like, right. I didn't know I liked tripe, but holy fuck, this is amazing. But this is good. It just, it's not the norm. So that's why people are like, ew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not our societal norm. Yeah. And this says upping offal consumption by 50% achieved what was the second best option for reducing the livestock emissions. So swapping 25% of the beef you eat for less intensive meat can also help. So like chicken puts off less emissions than a cow does. 
because obviously the processing portion and the... so stick to the dumb flightless bird is the lesson <laughs> right right and and the size of the fart would be way different also if we put it in that terminology as opposed to a... <laughs> <laughs> but, right right but you know they're saying that there's some pushback because people are claiming that oval doesn't offer as much health advantages as getting certain nutritional things that you're getting from whatever meat that it is that you're eating but it actually Mm. offers higher levels of the good stuff but the downside is it also offers higher levels of the bad stuff for your body so you would have to kind of adjust like you couldn't go on an all liver pate diet like that's gonna have some effect on you that's how you get gout (laughs) just two pieces of white bread some mayonnaise and some liver pate Mm. I've got some white bread some cheese spread and some mayonnaise. Oh, dude. When I was a little kid, like, one of my favorite thing was saltines with liverwurst. <laughs> <laughs> Liver, I mean, liverwurst is amazing. Braunschweiger, fucking bring it on. Oh, yeah, dude. It's, it's, it, I remember loving that as a kid. Like, rye. Oh, liver sausage. Would you get some from the deli counter? Why not get it here? Jones liver sausage? Sure. From the family that makes Jones pork sausage. Try some. Smells good. Ooh, it's delicate. Fresh. Uh, that's Jones Deli Fresh flavor. Jones Braunschweiger liver sausage comes sliced in this chub or chunk. All with Deli Fresh flavor. Jones liver sausage. Your father will love it. If he ever gets it. you know any. what it was? It's the white. The yep. white people. <laughs> the white people. Having a, a mother from the South didn't help either. Yeah, I mean, it's a very Eastern European thing, and a lot of Poles and Czechs came into the South, so I think I, I would be willing to bet it, that in the cattle industry. I mean... Yeah, that probably definitely uh, <laughs> where that originated from. You know, what was interesting, and it actually may have originated from this. It says, this isn't the first time that the Americas have called on people to eat nose to tail for a higher cause, because... <laughs> from the snooter to the tutor. <laughs> snooter to the tutor. <laughs> <laughs> because during World War II, the Department of Defense, which actually, I guess, in World War II, it was called the Department of War, now it's the Department of Defense because war. What is it good for? Sounds catchier. <laughs> <laughs> but the Department of Defense was worried about how the meat shortage might affect soldiers' nutrition. It has assembled a committee of scientists, and their their mission was to get American families to eat the offal which the committee wisely renamed variety meats, <laughs> which is actually a term that you can still find on hot dogs. Mm, variety meat. So for like a short period of time, eating offal was a symbol of patriotism, not poverty. And I think that that's kind of an interesting look at it was like, okay, at one point we were eating all this disgusting shit because we were trying to do what was best for the soldiers. And then it became... You know, it went from being so patriotic to doing these things to help our soldiers to uh, you're just poor. That's why you're eating that shit. Like, you know what I mean? Well, that vein rungs long and deep in the United States. And it's a pretty statistically crazy thing. What's what's good at one point and what's good at another point from a from a standpoint of control is completely different. And, you know, the idea of eating these meats is so, so important that, I mean, somebody as simple as Temple Grandin, who has autism, even in the movie, there's a huge, it was like a, it was a very fought for scene in 
in fact. And it was a very embarrassing scene when the guys fucking dumped all the bold balls on her fucking windshield. And she's like, this is edible meat. This is a total and complete fucking waste. I mean, if you're going to kill something, why waste parts of it? Yeah, why not use the whole creature? Something that I really want to put out there with regards to the Me Too movement, Moby, Moby no longer like being a participant in the veganism game and what's going on in the world as far as meats and vegetables and what we should be doing for the planet. Fucking totally stupid. He should be coming back out, learn from your mistake, come forward and be that presence for the livestock industry and for animals and for human beings of all kind. Mm. I mean, that, that was the elephant in the room that I feel like we should get out there. I definitely post a lot of things for Little Pine, which is a fucking excellent restaurant. And that's really saying something for me as a girl from the Midwest. I mean, we've taken our friends there to eat there. Don't just put your last post on Instagram. Don't stop being creative you know don't stop being just be a good person and fight the good fight yeah well fortunately for us you know moby subscribes to our channel so he'll hear that (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna get a very angry lettered and a cease and desist (laughs) do not besmirch my good name see the storm is broken in the middle of the night nothing left here for me washed away well like you were saying that was kind of the cool thing about you know it's we can't really tell people to stop eating meat yeah you can't eat meat anymore like it's it's not it's not gonna work yeah so we have to be like if you're killing it you should eat all of eat it. everything yeah exactly what's a fucking hot dog it's nope. awful <laughs> It's a pigeon, the f- feet of a pig, it's uh, <laughs> a tennis shoe, it's, you know, everything. <laughs> is it the $60 tennis shoe that's used, or is it the brand new $150? It's the brand new NASA shoe. with the gold. Fresh. Mm. <laughs> fresh to death. So fresh and so clean. It was interesting, kind of like, the way I sort of saw that article about using all of the cow is sort of like recycling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the basic of recycling. Yeah. If you got that resource, use that resource. Yeah, you don't use just it like up. throw it out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Another thing that I had stumbled upon, sort of along the lines of using something wisely, I guess we could say, is the name of the article was Amazon's Incredible Vanishing Cardboard Box. And I was like, okay, I'll bite. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's from a CNN business article. So stumbling down this this rabbit hole, obviously it's profiled me and it's like, ooh, you might like this. So I clicked and I was, it was right. I was like, thanks Amazon for spying on me. Yay. And I was like, midget porn, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Just what I've always wanted. It's interesting too, because it drives me crazy how Amazon ships things mm-hmm. and it was it was an interesting article. Do you use Amazon to ship anything? Oh, I uh, I get you know things here and there from Amazon, but not too much. But yeah, like every time I get it, it does like show up and it's way too big and way overpacked. Yeah. It'll be like a small I like you know like one handheld item and it's like in a box. It's Ten like feet long. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like two <laughs> feet by two feet. I'm like really, and they just fill it full. You of, like, needed the, this for this. Yeah. It is my midget. Yay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'll put the link below because there's also a video. It was an interesting article because it was multi sections. So it was kind of talking about different stuff. But the video, and they were kind of saying like, 
obviously the problem, if you haven't picked it up by now, is that we generated 1.3 million tons of container board in North America in 2018, which was a jump from 1.1 million just in 2017. So in a year, our consumption of the container board, i.e. a box, has jumped up (laughs) drastically. Which, by the way, was a company that he already owned, right? Like, the, the, he, like he owns a company that specifically supplies the boxes to Amazon, which is also a company he owns. Uh, probably that doesn't that does not surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing was that in the video portion of this article in the link, it was saying that because you're automatically nudged to get Prime shipping, that's just what people opt for because it's there. It's easy. It takes no steps. You say, okay. Good to go, good to go, good to go. And they're saying if they just switched that automatic option to have it be ground shipping versus the one to two day prime, that Mm. the amount of greenhouse gases that would be used would go far less because the way that these fulfillment sites works is you order one thing from a place and it comes like five miles down the street and the other thing that you ordered comes 500 miles away so instantly that thing gets thrown on an airplane and it's trying to meet the deadline of both things now it makes sense for your five mile away thing to arrive tomorrow but it doesn't make sense for your 500 mile thing to arrive in that same amount of time so they were suggesting to use kind of like, I guess, shaming people into being smarter about their purchases and their shipping and using like a different color box to say, hey, but I want my shit now. (laughs) (laughs) I am impatient and I need this today. And this other box over here says I was a good person and cared about my environment and I let it go on ground instead. And it took a week for it to get here. So it's kind it was kind of interesting. I don't know if people are actually going to do that maybe whatever i thought that was interesting little psychological fucking with people (laughs) (laughs) but in other countries in germany they require manufacturers to report how much packaging waste that they generate through this thing called jd.com and amazon in china is actually shooting for 100 percent recyclable and reusable packaging in 2020 and over here in the good old United States of America where dreams come true. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Your guys' yeah. dreams have come true? Yeah, I say, where do I sign up? <laughs> well, I have a lot of night terrors. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it said about 35% of North America's total manufacturing capabilities is geared towards recycled content. Like, in the box. Not like movies. We're not recycling. Well, I mean, we are recycling movies, hence 2020 Top Gun. But. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's coming. It's coming, baby. (laughs) Fucking sweaty men and volleyball and. Yeah, playing with the boys. (laughs) You know what I'm excited about? Jennifer Conley. What's that? (laughs) Jennifer Conley's in it. I was like, well. That's all I need. That's all I need right there. <laughs> oh, man. I, th- I thought we were going to talk about a post-cancer Val Kimmer and his doughiness, not fucking Jennifer Collins. Oh, well, he's coming in, too. <laughs> but about only 35% of North America's total manufacturing capabilities is geared towards recycled content in production of boxes. 
and which is in comparison to Europe, which is at 80% and in Asia, 93%. So we're like seriously fucking lacking. We're not even at 50%. America. You know what, though? China has a great recipe for eating cardboard. Yeah, I mean, that's where it goes. Just <laughs> fucking put it in that rice. <laughs> I mean, that's not a racist thing. That's a legit thing. That's a legit fucking thing. There was a there was quite a few restaurants that were busted for putting cardboard in there. Is like a kind of like we used to do in the United States with sawdust. Well, <laughs> that's a real thing. Is that because like when you eat Chinese food, you're hungry 20 minutes later, so they would just try to solve that problem. <laughs> no, you won't be hungry 20 minutes later from eating this shit because you're going to be blocked up for a minute or right. two. <laughs> what was interesting, though, is there is a company based out of Salt Lake City, Packsize, and they manufacture machines that go to retailers. And what the machine does is it makes a custom size box per each order. Mm hmm. So it says the most advanced machine can automatically determine the optimal size of the combination of items that need to fit in a box as soon as the customer clicks buy. Then it routes all the items onto a conveyor belt that automatically cuts and forms the box to size. So no human assistance is necessary. So that's pretty hmm. fucking genius, right? Yeah, that's rad. The other thing that they're thinking is that manufacturers of products essentially need to just make those products in a box that's shippable. But that kind of leads to problems like if I just bought a GoPro, it's sitting on my doorstep and someone walks by and they're like, oh, cool, a GoPro. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Jackpot. Yeah. I think their best way to combat this issue is, like you said, they're going to have to retrain gradually the buyer. And the only way to get any of these things to work is get the buyer in under more control about what they need to put in their cart. So by like Monday is the start of Mama's Shop Week and I need all these things and gets all of this list together by a certain time and then gets that carted up and then box. Once they do that, they're going to strategically be able to get these things into workplace. But it's a it's a long process to homogenizing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was kind of the thing, too. Right now, Amazon pays companies a dollar per package. And they're starting in August, they're going to stop paying that incentive. So instead of rewarding these companies with a dollar, they're going to charge these companies a dollar ninety nine per package that doesn't comply within this new weight standard that they're trying to essentially solve this problem with. And then Amazon is running a pilot program in India where products are being delivered to homes in plastic totes. So essentially it's kind of like the milkman back in the day. You'd put, totally. you know, you'd put your bottle outside, which makes sense. And get your wife pregnant. And get your wife pregnant, right? You have the milkman's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was kind of interesting because it does really bother me. A lot of times what I'll try to do is, you know, like Tanya was saying, just sort of build up my cart. If it's not something that I need right away, just sort of fill my cart over a period of time and then be like, oh, okay, well, I can hit buy now. It's a ton of items. They should all come together. But what drives me crazy is they still don't fucking come together. Oh, yeah. And that's obviously because they're coming from different fulfillment centers. But maybe we need to be more transparent about that, too. Right. Totally. We'll ship all these together. And I feel like sometimes it's accurate. 
but most of the time it's it, it's pissing me off and it, it's not <laughs> getting lease processes tighter while you're going through a divorce because of your pain pick is a little hard but he, i think he's gonna i think he's gonna make it come <laughs> make it come that a little hard a little hard it's a little hard to make it come okay that's why it, that's not really a smiley that's a peen on the side of the box <laughs> right <laughs> swing but yeah, I thought that was cool. So America, get your shit together because yeah. Europe and Asia are kicking our ass and <laughs> it's just, oi, are we great yeah. yet, guys? Are we great yet? Oh, we're making it great again. I'm getting tired from all this winning. All this winning. All I, I do is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> Welcome to Ion Elon. You know, now that like people are not so focused on him smoking pot and some of his financial faux pas. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's the thing. He, he's, you know, problematic like any other human. You know, he's got some cool ideas and does some cool things. But at the same time, he's also a human that Makes says mistake, things and right? does things. And it's like, okay, <laughs> Can, buddy. Uh, well, I kind of feel like he's been doing more for us than anybody else. Can't we just cut him yeah. some slack? <laughs> Yeah. Again, again, he's human. He's flawed. There's, there's, he's, he's fallible. We all have our flaws. That's we have to accept that fact. This kind of actually sounds like back to Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um. <laughs> help me, so help me, Jesus. Six inches forward and five inches back. I got a, I got an angry inch. Why have Neuralink is I think it's important for us to address brain-related diseases. Everyone, if you survive cancer and heart disease, odds are that you will have uh, some brain-related disorder. So it'll be like Alzheimer's or, or dementia. And if you don't, friends and family will for sure. And I think unless we have some sort of brain-machine interface that can solve brain ailments of all kinds, whether it's an accident or congenital or any kind of brain-related disorder or a spinal disorder, if you know somebody who's broken their neck or broken their spine, we can solve that with a chip. And, and this is something that I think most people don't quite understand yet. And we're going to go over in detail how this is possible. But I, th I think there's an incredible amount we can do to solve brain disorders. And, and all this will, will occur actually, I think quite slowly. I do want to emphasize that it's not going to be like suddenly Neuralink will have this incredible neural lace and start taking over people's brains. Okay, it will take a long time and you'll see it coming. So getting FDA approval for implantable or devices of any kind is quite, quite difficult. And this will be a slow process where we will gradually increase the issues that we solve until ultimately we can do a full brain machine interface, meaning that we can ultimately, yeah, this is gonna sound pretty weird, but achieve a sort of symbiosis with artificial intelligence. But this is, this is not a mandatory thing. This is a thing that you can choose to have if you want. And, and this, this is something I think is going to be really important at a civilization level scale. And I, I've, I've said a lot about AI over the years, but I, I think even in a benign AI scenario, we will be left behind. And so and hopefully it is a benign scenario, but I think with a high bandwidth brain machine interface, I think we can actually go along for the ride and we can effectively have the option of merging with AI. I think this is extremely important. Somebody give me the rundown on what's going on here. It does very little, and what he's introducing right now, from my understanding, are pretty simple, palatable things to, like, get people on board. But, you know, the sneaky fucker's way ahead of that shit. I mean, he's, like, so beyond it. Yeah. But it's, like, communicating things to one another without having to talk. Simple shit, like turning on and off shit, because the clap on. Clap on. Clap on. Clap on. I used to have one of those. Clap on, clap on. <laughs> 
Stop clapper. clapper. <laughs> but it's funny because like if you talk too loud, it, it would set it off. <laughs> it's like the clapper was like the first Alexa plug. <laughs> yeah. Let you turn things on or off from anywhere in the room. So Neuralink is what Elon Musk is divulging here. It's a, well, that's a new company. That's well, I don't know if it's a new company, but it's definitely new in my sight. Yeah, it's founded back in uh, 2016. Yeah, I think I've heard of it, but I never really delved into it. But yeah, it's back in 2016 was when it was founded. The general idea and their motivation, I think, are spot on. Yeah, I mean, it's a technology that's designed for helping like quadriplegics who can't interact with their environment like a normal human would. And we've, you know, all of our devices are geared towards what, you know, quote unquote, a normal person can do. It is a cool idea. But again, we're jumping back into that melding of technology and humanity. Like we're all we're heading to that cyborg dystopian future. Or that microbe with the fats the that I was speaking of earlier mm. just the the dirt that we were talking about with the microbes in it and them finding a vaccine for stabilizing people to not be stressed out to avoid PTSD you know all roads to hell are paved with good intentions if we have a working force that's totally incom- complacent because they're no longer able to fear or feel that's a problem when you're introducing something like this where you can be controlled or you have the access to control your limbs because of this monitor that's been installed. But you, there's the potential for the misuse of it and the control of it. So if you have these monitors put in, what does that say for the Well, that's, what, that's so. what I'm kind of wondering about. It's great for people who are handicapped, but you know that it's going to have... Yeah, repercussions. Sounds like a better option than the head transplant thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought when I was reading the articles. Okay, so it's not going to miraculously take over our brains. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I think it's just it's going to happen at some point. We have to accept the fact that we are going to merge more and more with our technology, whether we like it or not. Obviously, this isn't like, you know, again, like you said in the uh, video, like it isn't like mandatory. You're not going to, you know. Right, it's an opt-in kind of thing. shoved in your brain. But <laughs> right. I, th- I think we're just going to see it more and more commonplace. And I, spe- I imagine especially with like certain professions having if we can bridge that gap between a artificial intelligence and our intelligence, what benefits we could reap from that would be wonderful. So like I imagine like certain professions for doing a lot of stuff with calculations and numbers, and especially like in sciences, being able to use the AI to calculate weird numbers and figure out things real fast, be just infinitely helpful. Be like, I mathed in five seconds. <laughs> exactly. Instead of having to go over to your laptop and like input all the numbers, you could just think it. You and the AI figured out how the fuck. It's- so you're saying the all the migrants would have jobs, <laughs> right? Well, you know it would be cool. Like, okay, so basically, the, he's describing this as a reconnection for people who have suffered a stroke or something of that yeah, nature. But that's kind of a, a stepping stone. So the Neuralink is reconnecting the neurological disconnection, but in the future, it could be more and more regarded FDA's approval and all that kind of stuff but it would be kind of cool like to go ahead and I'm relocating to a new country I need to know this 
That's fabulous. Like a place that like needs people and resources. You need a home. It's beautiful. Come, come to give me a country. Like let's have an advertisement. <laughs> this is great. This is what are you talking about? This is. I don't gold. know if that's the potential of this thing, but no, that's definitely the fucking potential. So say a certain area ha- has a special need. We need to build up this town. This town's failing for whatever fucking reason. Let's fucking build it up. And this is a way to do it. I think. And really, what you could do potentially is put everybody financially on the same fucking playing field and you wouldn't have that bullshit fucking thing going yeah, on. Yeah, but you know that wouldn't happen because oh, the people I know, ahead want to stay ahead. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But, but you know, in a utopian kind of place, or even even just a practical, from a practical manufacturing standpoint, right. I mean, an industrialized standpoint, it just makes good sense. My only reason is, is because if, if you can do it without people fucking suffering so miserably, what does it matter? Yeah. Yeah. It just makes me flash on the Matrix where, you know, Keanu's right. like, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> like, instantly download that info. I'm going to learn jujitsu. <gasps> oh, shit. Hey, Mikey, I think he likes it. How about some more? Oh, yes. Like, if I could do that, it would be so great. But I think the goal with a movie like that is to open the headspace to think even bigger. Yeah. I just sent you guys a really cool video. It's a, a former uh, NASCAR driver who's a quadriplegic who was on a, a show that Jay Leno had or has still that we happen... Jay Leno's Garage. Yeah, 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 that we happen to come across. And they, they set up a car, much like a, a wheelchair, how you can control it with just like a switch with your mouth. And this guy... The breathing tube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy was able to fucking drive a car again. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, it's a cool video to check out. He breathes in into this little controller. And the more he breathes, the faster he goes. And he's like totally controlling it through his head and mouth. Yes, which is crazy. Because here he is thinking he would never drive again. And he can drive again on his own. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I see the benefits of this. And I think that that's pretty cool of elon to be investing in something like that for the greater good of people who have suffered something that's taken something away but there's always going to be that asshole that does bad but there's always going to be that person that does good why not be the guy that does the good fuck it yeah yeah for sure so it'll be interesting to see how like but like you said the fda is going to be a long slow process so it won't be tomorrow but yeah welcome to the fda Thank you for listening to this month's episode of TriPace Pod. Look forward to hearing our voices in your ear holes once again at the beginning of next month. Don't forget to like and subscribe to TriPace Pod on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud because it stimulates dopamine production in our brains every time you do. You can creep on us from afar at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at TriPace Pod. And of course, check out show notes, contact information, and buy merch at TriPacePod.com. And as always, you're awesome. Who the fuck is weed whacking? <laughs> You wait till we're all watching Top Gun together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's going to be a movie.
Seven and 